Good morning. I'm not Tom Lauder. I'm uh, Mark Stevenson, and um, my wife and I and our kids, wow, it's cold up here even. Um, we've been going to Capitol for a few years. My wife is Bo Key. Um, she doesn't look like me, and she's from Korea. I'm from the States. Our oldest son, Nicholas, is here um, on holiday, so we're really glad to have him. Our second son, Samuel, do I need to be in a certain spot or... Okay. My second son, Samuel, is right now at the Urbana Conference in the States, if you're familiar with that. And then our dear daughter, Esther, is here as well. So um, it's really good to be with you this morning. Did you have a good Christmas? (laughs) Okay, the people here had a good Christmas. I could hear that. The rest of you maybe are still... I always think the, the Sunday after Christmas or the weekend after Christmas is usually people are a little bit groggy. Um, I grew up in a Catholic family, so it was, and I don't mean this to offend anybody, but it meant that during Christmas you were, you were quite holy, you did everything well, and you never lied, and, and you were nice to everyone, but once Christmas was over, then it was kind of back to normal. And so the difference between New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve was quite profound, um, because people were just too tired of trying to be holy for at least a week or something like that. Um, how many of you send out Christmas cards every year? Can you raise your hands? Okay, yeah, probably less and less. How many of you send out Christmas greetings via email or something like that? Okay, yeah, that's a lot more. How many of you don't even care? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the people in the back there, they had their hands raised. We, um, we send out a Christmas card every year, and we usually make ours. And the reason we do that is because it gives us a chance to send something to just about everybody we know who is not in this country. Um, And it gives us a chance to say a little bit about God that maybe people don't know or don't really think about. So we purposely try to do something that's maybe a little bit provocative, um, a little bit... I I usually want people to look at the card and go, what? What what does this really mean? And so this year we we made a card... um, But before we put it up, I just wanted to say, a while back, this is actually now a few years, I was thinking about how we worship and how we talk about God. Um, You know, we use words like majesty, glory, and mighty. And I I don't know about you, but I, I don't really use those words outside of church. I don't really use them outside of a Bible study. I don't use those words. Like if you're in the office and you get a good deal, do you go, glory? Or if you're on the bus and you find a seat, do you go, oh, glory? Uh, Maybe some people do, but most of us really don't. And it's interesting because those words are used, at least in the English language, are used kind of less and less. But we use them in church. And so what you can find happening is you, you end up using this language. It's beautiful language, but it's kind of like Christmas carols. You know, it's kind of old and, well, there's a lot of truth in there. But it might be more and more distant from your heart and from who you are. And so I started thinking, what do people say? What impresses people? How do they talk when they're impressed? Because all those words have to do with us being impressed with God. And I thought, you know, people will go, wow, wow, that's great. If you see um, Messi kick another goal, you know, you probably don't say glory. But you might go, wow, that was amazing. Did you see that? But I never do that with God. You know, when God does something, we don't go, wow, did you see what he did? It's like, no, I, I can't even see him. Where is he? But do you understand what I'm trying to say? We, we have this kind of church language, 
But then we have more of a language that's kind of the language of our heart. And I, I, I started thinking about that, you know, and I realized we obey what we believe and we worship what we enjoy. When you think about that, all you have to do is, is get in a taxi or get in a bus or get in a car and go out after church out on the road. And you'll find out there's, there's traffic laws in this country, but you'll find out what people really obey. And, and somewhere along the line, they think you don't really have to do that. That red light, it's a nice suggestion. Um, this, eh, that, little, that little arrow on the road, hey, I, I'm in a hurry, I need to go. If you, really obey, if you really believe something, you'll obey it. And if you don't really think it's that important, you'll kind of obey it when you have the opportunity to. And you worship what you enjoy. If you enjoy money, that's what you'll be talking about a lot. If you enjoy food, you'll talk about that a lot. People end up worshiping what they enjoy. So think about that. If we really don't enjoy God, we can say we believe in God. We can say what we know God, all that kind of stuff. But if we don't enjoy God, then worship gets to be another song. And what's the next song and how much more time do we have and when are we finished? Um, and I thought, well, what do I say when I'm impressed by people? You know, in, in one hand, it's easy to be distant with God when you kind of use the old language of glory and majesty and all that kind of stuff rather than what's real to you. And when you use your language, it ends up being more intimate, more real. Um, there's many times I've, 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 when I started realizing this, I started changing the way that I prayed and the way that I talked to God. And I would say, you are incredible. Because that's what I would say to someone who did something really well or something that I saw that I was just impressed, that I couldn't believe. And yet we say our God is a God of the miraculous. Our God is a God who does wonderful things. But again, if we, when we stick to kind of the, the church language, um, I think we kind of miss that intimacy with God, really knowing God. And so when I made this card, I wanted people to think, wow, is this the way that I know God? So we'll bring it up here. Some of it you won't be able to see. And I have to, oh, that's a familiar. Um, I have to apologize because I did this, if you're familiar with this, I did it in Adobe Illustrator and I had to save it as a PDF file. But there were a number of fonts that said, if you save it as a PDF file, you're going to lose it. So where you see the gaps, um, it means that there were words there, but they're not there now. But I just want to go through some of these really quick. I know some of you probably in the back are, cannot see this at all. But here's what I put on here. I put at the top um, that he's so loving. He's not just loving, he's so loving. This is, this is the God that we know. The next one that's in a really, really small lettering, it says wise like no one else. Now wise is kind of a funny word because when we think about it, we have kind of an idea in our mind of, of somebody really old, um, somebody who knows a lot, who's had a lot of experience. But we, when we think about wise, we forget about someone who knows a lot. When you look at the galaxy, when you look at the stars at night, if you can see them from here, that's the person, the wise person who created all that. Um, we, we often miss that because we're so busy worrying and asking God about our bills getting paid, that we get to church on time, that we make that meeting, that we get that project done, that we forget the enormity, the, just how huge and how big and how incredible and how wise this God is. Marvelous. I mean, marvelous isn't really a word that you use very much as well, but if something's really marvelous, it's pretty, pretty incredible. 
Now, over on the left side up there, I put Tai Hao La. Because that's something you hear people say when something is good. When it's, wow, that's great. Wow. Do you say that to God? Do you ever look up in the sky and go, wow. Not really. We wouldn't. But that's what I'm, I want to challenge you a little bit to think about that. Um, there was another word up there that's missing about God being creative. And a lot of times we forget that. We think someone's a good artist, someone's a good musician. Oh, they did a really good job with that. But we don't really think of God as being creative. A lot of times in our minds we think he created the world and now he's just kind of sitting back and just kind of watching. And yet God is creative in our lives. He, he uses everything in our lives. If we're aware of it, if we allow him to, he uses the good and the bad. Powerful. Now everyone kind of knows that. Okay, God's a powerful God, whatever that means. I don't know, but he's a powerful God. And then we usually talk about David and Goliath and talk about some kind of story long, long time ago. But what about God being powerful right now, today? If God is a powerful, powerful God, but yet his restraint in his judgment, is restraint in what he could unleash on the earth. What does that say about him? Do you see in the corner there, it says fun. Now, how many of you, when you're, when you're sharing about God with people who don't know God, you would say, hey, our, our, my God's a really fun God? Anybody? We say, he's a holy God. He's a serious God. This is the one true God you need to believe. But do you ever think of God being a fun God? A friend of mine, a guy named Jason, um, he's kind of an interesting guy. He, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's, um, you never have to ask him, hey, I wonder what you're thinking. And he's pretty intentional about life. He's pretty intense. And a few weeks ago, he said, you know, I really want to learn what does it mean to rest on the Sabbath? What does it mean to walk with God on the Sabbath or throughout the whole week? And so I said, well, what did you do? He said, wow, last weekend it was really incredible. He said, I, I, I just decided I'm going to, it was a Sunday afternoon. I wasn't going to stay at home and watch TV or watch a movie or something. He said, I felt like I should just go out. So he said, I went out on the street and I said, God, I'm going to make myself available to you. I'll just walk around. You tell me where to go. So he started walking and you have to understand this guy. He's not like this monk, you know, he's a drummer actually in a band. So he's not like this monk who just hides in the corner all week long. And it was a bit of a challenge for him. He walked around. And um, he felt like he was supposed to go here, and then he, he would just say, God, where do you want me to go now? And he really didn't know where he was going. He had a number of hours in the afternoon, and he just kind of kept walking around. And it wasn't kind of a leisurely thing. He wanted to really hear God. So he gave God an opportunity to speak. And he kept going around, and you know, in his mind, he's thinking, well, God's going to do something, and going to do something. And he turned a corner, and um, he went to a driving range, a golf driving range. And he had been waiting and hoping to play golf at some point in time. And he turned the corner. The guy who was running it said to him, hey, today, why don't you come here? You can play for free. And he thought, wait a minute. Does God really want me to have fun? Wouldn't God rather have me pray or fast or read the Bible or do something else? And he said, he thought, wow, okay, I'll do it. But he felt guilty in the beginning. Because he thought, well, this doesn't feel right. I should be doing something more holy. And in the end, he enjoyed it. But for him, one of the things that God spoke to him is, I want you to have fun as well. So when you think about that, do you think of God being fun? And up there we have God is loyal. 
you know, this culture here, um, the relationships in this culture, people are very, very loyal. It's a very high value. Do you know that God is loyal to you? He sticks with you. He'll go through many, many things with you, thick and thin. He's very, very loyal. Now, there's another one up there that you probably can't see outside the box. And for a lot of Western businessmen, this is kind of a good concept of being outside the box. You know, people will talk about Steve Jobs. They'll talk about other people who are a bit of mavericks. They think, yeah, it's good to be outside the box. But if you have a boss who is outside the box, it can be a little bit trying. Why? Because he or she is always going to surprise you, and you're never quite sure what they're going to come up with. And sometimes it can be a little bit annoying because you think, "Ah, why don't we just do it the way we've always done it? And instead we have new ideas. And instead we have a new way to do something. Someone who is outside the box is never boring but can be tiring at different times trying to keep up with them. Is God outside of the box for you? Or is he pretty predictable? You know what to do. You know what Sunday's going to be like. You know what the rest of your life is going to be like. Once you retire, it'll be this way or that way. Or do you allow for God to be outside of the box? I, um, below that, we have wonderful. And that's a word that, again, a lot of people would use in a number of different areas, different situations. Um, probably if you got a bonus at the end of the year, you'd say, wow, this is wonderful. Do you ever say that? Wow, God, you're wonderful. A lot of songs we have, we say that. The next one next to that says he's full of love. Not just loving, not just, you know, by friends or by, or just a little bit, a portion loving. He is full of love. He's the definition of love. Courageous. Now, someone who's courageous is kind of dangerous because they're not afraid. But they're someone who you really want on your side. Because when everyone else is saying, I don't think we can do it, that person is going to say, no, we can't. And that's what God is like. He's always kind of calling us out, isn't he? He's always kind of pushing us beyond where we've been, what we know, what we're comfortable with. And it's a little dangerous. It's For sure, it's scary. It's not what you expect. A number of you are sitting here five years ago. You never, ever expected to be in Beijing, in China. You probably thought that you'd be where you were forever and ever and ever and then go to heaven. And maybe heaven would look like where you were before as well. Um, and next to that, we have Korean. There's a Korean phrase that means counselor. And, you know, I thought when you, if you have some problems, if you have marriage problems, mental problems, physical problems, whatever, whatever, you're very dependable on a counselor. You don't go to the counselor thinking, well, I'm not going to get anything out of this. No, you probably pay money or go to see the counselor because you expect to get something. Now, when God is your counselor, you can have high expectations of him. Do you know him that way? And then next to him is a word that was missing, um, and I said that God was very patient. Um, A lot of times, people can say that they're patient, or you can say someone's patient, but how do you find out if someone's patient? You know, you can think that I'm patient, but you put me in a car in this traffic, and as my family will tell you, the patience kind of goes out the window, and that's an area that God is continually working on in me. What I'm trying to say is you only find out that someone's patient when they're in a situation where they don't have any reason to be patient. If everything's going well, if everything's nice, anyone can be patient. But in the middle of a lot of turmoil, in the middle of a lot of bad things going on, that's where you find out who's patient and who's not. 
Um, under that, the next one, under wonderful, we have humble. And we, we like to think about that, and we have a lot of scripture that goes with it. But when you think about the, just how awesome, how big, and how huge God is, humble and being big do not go together. Kobe Bryant and humbleness do not really go together. Um, LeBron James and being humble, that, that kind of stuff doesn't really fit. But our God is so beyond either way in being humble and in being great and wonderful and incredible. But yet he's humble. Below that I have extremely holy. And holy is kind of a funny word that we really don't know what to do with. We kind of hold it and, yes, God is holy. Okay. You know, and, and we kind of say it in a... No one really celebrates too much God's holiness because it, it puts us in a position of wow, we realize how bad we are or how short we are of his standard. And yet, God is not just holy. He is extremely holy. Ouch. Maybe for some of you, that just, okay, that's enough. Let's just leave it on there and go back to the love part. How does that go together with God being love and God being holy? That's because he's God and we're not. Um, It's hard to comprehend. The next one says God is way out there. And way out there a sense of geographically, but also just the way that he thinks. So oftentimes, when people are working out theological truths, and this is really good to do, I often think, you know, in our finite minds, we try to understand something that for him is just normal, it's simple, it's very small, but it's not something that we can really comprehend. He really is way out there. He really is unpredictable in many ways. And he really is dangerous, but in a way that keeps us safe. Always right. Now, this is not talking about my wife, okay? Do you think of God being always right? We probably think of God as being right a number of different times when things worked out, and that was good, and that was cool, and that that was like I expected. No, no, it's always 100%, all the time, all the time. I mean, if you you kind of let yourself think about that, probably most of us, quite honestly, don't really believe that. There's parts of the Bible we don't understand, and why did all those people have to get killed, and why did that have to happen, and why did that flood come, and why did this, and why did Jesus not do this, and why didn't he do it the way I think he should have done it? And this is stuff you really have to wrestle with. But when you come to a place of realizing he is always right, always right, wow, that's where you find peace. And that's where you find satisfaction. And that's where you find an incredible confidence in who he is. The next one is I. And I think everybody here probably knows that, that God is loving. Honest. Honesty in many different cultures isn't that high of a value. But God is honest. He's never lied. Never. There's not one time where he slipped. There was not one time where he thought, well, maybe, perhaps, and oh, that's right. Never, ever, ever. There's nobody in this room that can say that. And there's nobody on this planet that can say that. But our God is honest. Below that we have, he's perfect. And do you ever celebrate God and his perfectness? Being perfect. Again, because we, you can't, put this in any box you can't say well that's like uncle tom or that's like you know mary or it's like so and so or whatever there's no one that even comes close our god is perfect 
We're not following a God who was the best that we could find, was the best choice. It wasn't like we had an election in our heart and decided, okay, I think I'll, I'll pick this one. You know, other people have this. No, we, we believe in the perfect God, perfect in every way. And that's something you really need to kind of let yourself, let that sink in. Think about that. Let that really not just be, well, perhaps, but maybe. If you wrestle with this stuff, go to God. Why? Because the next one says he's very accessible. Has that been your experience? Has that been true? Has God been accessible to you? Or do you feel like you have to pray for three weeks? You have to go to a prayer meeting at four in the morning. You have to read the Bible through three times a year. You have to kind of get worked up and get ready. Okay, now I can go to God. But God says, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So no matter what, when you're yelling at that guy who just pulled in front of you, when you find out that they got your electric bill wrong, when somebody said something behind your back, when somebody cheated you, God is still accessible at that point. Next one, he's radical. You know, someone who's radical pushes things further than most people like to be comfortable with. Um, People who are radical in pushing for different things. They can almost be kind of embarrassing. You know that they're right, but it's like, let them do that. I'll kind of follow behind them, but I'm not going to be the one who's going to be out in front. Jesus was radical. God is a radical God. And if, if they just did what everybody else did, well, then they wouldn't be radical. They would be like you and I. But he isn't. He's always way out there, way out in front. He's very straightforward. Now, he is very straightforward with us with as much truth as we can handle. What do I mean by that? Um, A scholar, Leroy Lawson, said, Jesus is all of God that humanity can comprehend and all of man that humanity can become. Let me say that again. Jesus is all of God that humanity can comprehend and all of man that humanity can become. So a lot of times if you think, well, Jesus doesn't seem straightforward. If you look through the Gospels, he's always telling these kind of funny stories and they're like little mysteries and playing with words and whatnot. A lot of times God is not so straightforward with us because we can only comprehend so much. We can only handle so much. If God showed me all of my selfishness and sin, there wouldn't be too much more left. He's trustworthy. You can rely on him. He's very, very dependable. And a lot of times, you know what it's like if you have a friend who's very trustworthy. You know that no matter what, no matter what kind of situation, no matter how much money we have or we don't have, no matter what happens, you can always depend on that person. And people love having someone who's trustworthy. Well, that's what our God is like. Okay, so that's, that's our card. And again, on the inside, when, this was on the front. When you opened it up on the inside, I wrote something about, do you know God this way? Just to get people kind of thinking. And some people probably go, well, that, theologically, that's not correct. God's not really a fun God. And, I, you know, I wouldn't say that about God. I wouldn't say this about God. I wouldn't. But because we're used to, when we think about talking about God, we, we have definitions. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. And that's really good. But that's, it's not just getting right answers. That's a starting point. 
you have to make sure you have the right theology. Otherwise, you could be worshiping somebody that's wrong or someone who's not even there. So you want to make sure that you have the right answers and we know who God is. But that's just the starting point. It's enjoying who he is and what he's like. That's worship. That's really worship. You know, when you think about your good friends, or let's say, um, I mentioned basketball. If LeBron James was here, it was he standing right here, what would you do? What would you say to him? Would you just go, yo, what's up? You know, and kind of walk away, and that would be it. If he was stuck around after the service, I'm sure a lot of you would come up, and you'd have big grins, and you'd say, well, I can't believe he's here. This is amazing. This is incredible. And you'd probably be thinking, okay, what do I say? Um, what can I say? Oh, boy, and who's got a camera? Where's your phone? I want to get a picture. I can't believe this. Wow. And yet we never do that with God. Do you ever come to God going, well, I can't believe I get to be with God. I can't believe you're amazing. You really are. We do if we see a nice sunset. But if you live in Beijing, that, you know, that might be three times a year or so or something like that. But it's really enjoying God. Enjoying God. When someone's birthday happens, you usually start thinking about that person. And we write a card and go, I really like you a lot and thank you so much. You're always there. You're always dependable. Happy birthday. And, and birthdays I like because they give you a chance to really kind of stop and focus on a person and, um, and appreciate that person. Well, we have the chance to focus and appreciate on God all year long. All the time. There's no limit. The birthday doesn't end, or the celebration doesn't have to end. It doesn't have to be over with Christmas. But it means going further. So let me ask you, is this the God that you know? Is this the God that you believe in? Is this the God that you enjoy? Is this the God that you experience? Now, this is not comprehensive. Um, it's probably very concise. But, but do you see things up here that are a little bit troubling? A little bit confusing? Not really sure? There was one time where the disciples, they asked Jesus, or Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And that was in Matthew 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So this is Jesus asking them about who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, these answers were all flattering. You know, they didn't say, oh, some said you're a jerk. Some people say you're a liar. Some people say you're a false teacher. You're a troublemaker. You're a radical. They didn't say that. All, they, all these answers are, are really kind of nice. Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist who had come back. People had different ideas. But they were all wrong. And it's the same today. If you ask people, who do you think Jesus is? They'd say, well, he's a good teacher. He was a nice man. Um, yeah, he did a lot of nice things. It's true, but just like these answers, it wouldn't be complete. It wouldn't be real. When we go on, and then Jesus says to them, but what, do you, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter kind of answers for the whole group, and he says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, we know this, and for us, it sounds kind of like a Sunday school test. But actually, for Peter to have that answer took a lot more than just getting all the theological things correct. Think about it. They had been walking with Jesus for quite a while by that point. And they had seen intimately what it was like 
to be with Jesus, what Jesus was like. And so what does that mean? That means that when, and it wasn't, this wasn't the result of Peter's own like investigation. He didn't go through a lot of things and say, well, the best that I can come up with is that you are this. No, this was an answer that was complete in every way of worship, of loving, and of truth. And this also implies that it wasn't from a distance. These were Peter lived with him every day. So it implies that the closer we get to Jesus, the more we'll understand and the more we'll believe. And that's the enjoyment. That's the reward. It's not just getting your bills paid. It's not just your kids graduating from school. It's not just getting everything right in your life. That probably will never happen. But in the middle of following God, there's a joy that is very different from just having everything go well. There's a joy that even if nothing goes well, you can still have in your heart. There's an enjoyment of God that where worship becomes normal because you know, wow, this is who I believe in. This is the God that I love. Now, in Paul's letter, Paul's letters to in the New Testament, he said... Um, he, most of the, I'm sorry, most of the letters that he wrote in the New Testament were to churches that were having some kind of struggles. You know, if you read what he wrote to the church in Corinth, they were having a lot of trouble. And so he's dealing with a lot of problems, a lot of struggles, and all this. But there's one church that he wrote to that really wasn't having too much difficulty. And that was the church in Ephesus. So in Ephesus, Paul writes, um, he says in chapter 1, what does he say? He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that everything will go well and you'll have enough money and your kids will get perfect grades in school. No, he says, so that you may know him better. Because Paul knows that is the main thing that will give you the richest satisfaction, the most contentment, and the greatest joy not just in this life, but in the future, is really not just having things, not just having a life that works out, but knowing God. Bill Johnson, who is a pastor in California, says, we have yet to live in what has already been revealed. So it's not like you need this new revelation. You need something new that you've never had before. John Piper says, knowing and loving God is like an acquired taste which takes time to appreciate. And so the first time you've had a food that's a little bit odd or bizarre or whatever, but then you get used to it, you know what that seems like. And so going after God, God says that if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. There's a reward, and not in everything going well, but there's a reward in your spirit and your heart of really appreciating and knowing God. You know, at the end of the year, people always talk about getting better at this and that and being... You know, I want to lose weight. I want to do this better. I want to do this faster. Do you ever think about, well, I want to know God better? Maybe some of the things that were on that card, maybe they've touched you in a way where you think, well, I, I, I don't know that. Then ask God. Go to God. You don't have to look at yourself and say, wow, I'm so far behind. Or I really don't know. I don't really understand. Because He's accessible. He's very accessible. Go to him. Be honest with him. 
and say, God, I want to know you for who you are. I want to know you better. A couple days ago, we were, we were, I was with a group of friends, and we were given our testimonies. And I remember I became a Christian when I was 17 years old through an organization called Young Life in the United States. And I was a little bit afraid to tell my mom and dad what was going on, so I didn't really share too much with them. And Young Life, this organization, um, because they work in high schools, they didn't want the parents to think that the kids were going to some cult or something. So they had a parents' night. I'd been going for probably about a half a year. And um, my dad came home. And I can't, I can't, you have to understand my dad. I can't quote exact, his exact words, um, not here in church at least. <laughs> but, but he just, he looked at me and he said, you know, he had a cigarette and he said, Wow. He said, I knew something changed. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, this was really good to go to this meeting tonight and find out all about Young Life. And he said, I knew something changed because I could tell you changed about three or four months ago. He said, but I just thought you had a new girlfriend. He said, because of the way that you acted, you were happy. You wouldn't get mad when I tell you to do something. And um, you were just really patient with everyone. And he said, I just figured, well, what's her name? But he said, this is really nice to hear. And part of it was, um, I mean, my family is a nice family, but the three above me were involved in drugs and stuff like that. My dad said, you don't know how nice it is to not to have to worry. And it wasn't me per se, but really what he was saying is he appreciated what God had done and what he could see. And at that point, I was in love, but it wasn't with a girl it was with God. And maybe some of you have had that experience too, where you had a dramatic change and you remember what it was like at that time, where you really, the first time you fell in love with God, and when you really got to know God. But as time has gone on, it's kind of become a, a lot of Bible studies, how life is so busy, there's a lot of things, and the prayers become shorter and more intense when you need this and you need that. And maybe today God wants to call you back to a place of intimacy with him because it's more than just knowing the facts intimacy net with god naturally brings you to a place of worship of enjoying god because this is what we live for we don't live for a strategy we don't live for just a program for saving the world we don't live just to see our kids do well or our family do well we live for god and this is a wonderful wonderful god that we serve Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you um, that we are here at the end of 2012. (laughs) And we thank you that you are still alive. You're still working. You're not tired. You're not far away. But God, there's so much about you that we don't know. There's so much about you that are just words that we haven't experienced, that we haven't really comprehended. And Father, we want to give ourselves to you and say, Jesus, take us on that journey. Take us to those places that we're afraid to go. Take us to those things in you that we've never known before. Jesus, we thank you that you're such a loving and wonderful God, so far beyond what we can even comprehend. But as much as we can handle, God, we say we want that much of you. So Lord Jesus, I pray for myself and for everyone in this room, that in this year, God, we would learn more about you and be more in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.